as you know, 11th month, 11th day, 11th hour, armistice. But sadly, it did not, that joy did not last long in Montana. There were celebrations all over the state. And just to give you a terrible, and I, this is going to be a downer, but just to give you an idea, the people of Glendive had been told to stay home because they had just gotten the Spanish flu under control in that area. They didn't. So they had another round of Spanish flu after they all got together to celebrate armistice. That's just the beginning. All right. In Montana, as you all know, we had been enjoying a huge boom. And it's really interesting to, to compare that wartime to one of our boom and bust cycles, but that's exactly what it was. It was a boom and bust cycle. In 1917, in along the High Line, they have a bit of a drought. By 1918, it has moved to the eastern part of the state, and by 19, the end of 1918 and 1919, Montana is in the midst of a miserable drought. So we're going to talk about not just the drought and its ramifications, but the politics. And because I know that you have been exposed to a lot of information along those cycles, I've chose not to talk in a broad terms. I'm going to talk about four personalities who were involved in that time and were literally players bringing Montana into the modern age because that is how, as you know, historians look at this time. This is a time of transition for Montana. Politically, economically, by population, and it just, the list can go on and on. All right, so a couple of interesting tidbits. When I talk about population, and I just returned from Fergus County and was talking to some folks about this, and um, they know it, but to hear it is a different thing. Are you ready? In the 1920 census, Fergus County had 28,000 people. In 10 years, they have dropped down to 16,500 people. Now, imagine. Imagine anywhere today losing that kind of population. So during that time, we've got people who have realized that their dream of owning land, that Jeffersonian idea of owning land, is not going to work. They have two choices, and if you've, you've read, um, there's a wonderful memoir called Too Poor to Move, about a homesteading family um, just north of Big Timber. That's exactly it. They stuck it out because they didn't have the money to buy gas to get the heck out of Sweetgrass County. So people are moving if they can, or sticking it out. I'm going to talk about the two families that stuck it out. Didn't have much of a choice, but they stuck it out. Right? I'm also going to talk about the two governors during this stage. 
Okay. And then I'm going to end, as I said, it's a bit of a downer, but we have it, when I say we, I, I'm exposed to a lot of people during the course of the day, and we talk about the politics, we talk about the evolution of the boom and bust, we talk about homesteads being decimated, and that's when our corporate corporations are created, all those little homesteads are being bought up <coughs> by neighbors sometimes, by corporations sometimes. There's mechanization. But rarely have I heard anybody ask, but what about those families who lost during the war? We as a nation, and particularly in Montana, are coming out of a war. And our boys and men were decimated. We have a lot of families grieving. So the first person I'm going to talk about is Governor Samuel Stewart. And if you have attended other sessions here, you've probably heard that he was our governor during World War I. He called that infamous special session in 1918 where they drew up sedition laws that were later sadly copied by many other states. And that special session set the tone for Montana, politically and socially. Okay, What we often don't hear is that just about, let's see, okay, that was April, let's say about 15 months later, he calls a second special session because people are leaving Montana in droves or they're starving to death. And when, if you ever get a chance to read the newspapers during the special session, I'm going to say jump on it. Because it's, nothing has changed in politics. You've got the Democrats and the Republicans. Don't forget now, the Democrats during this time were the conservatives, right? And those Republicans, they were radicals. Oh my gosh. We're going to talk about a radical governor. But he calls a special session. And he introduces that special session. Ready? Somewhere it's here. Sorry, done that, done that, done that. All right. When he addresses the special session, he says, he wants to see the legislature amend the statutes of the state of Montana so that citizens of this state may be given employment upon the roads and highways and that federal aid may be accepted and utilized. Now, this is 1919. This is a 1930. All right? And he wants them, the legislature, to act and make available larger sums of money for road improvements he also wants some sort of legislation enacted to bring relief to those who were unfortunate enough to have lost their crops by drought. There's a huge list of things he wants. He also wants them to do a little work on women's suffrage. But we're not going to get into that because that's happening on a national level. So Mr. Stewart, 
his second special session during his administration. I'm sorry, I couldn't quite memorize all of it. So the first special session was February 1918. His second was July and August 1919. They manage in just a couple of weeks' time, the legislature, and I think this is astounding in today's climate, they passed 58 measures. 58 measures that include relief to farmers. And what's really interesting is they set up a, um, a, a structure so that counties can set up relief. And go back to the state level to ask for guidance and funds. They do establish the State Highway Commission. They outline the power and duties of that commission. And then they outline, they, they pass bills for the improvement of highways and its funding. And they also have huge conversations on how to go about getting jobs from that funding to the people of Montana rather than contracting it out. Water control is huge because people are being taken in by, by other folks who claim to sell them water and then never show up. People are being robbed because they're paying for water that they don't see. That's how serious this is. So this is Governor Stewart. He also, I'm willing to bet you heard about this if you were in on Bobby's conversation, he had the first family to live in the governor's mansion. He raised three little girls. I should say his wife probably raised three little girls. <laughs> he was really busy having a special session. So. What about all those homesteaders? My, one of my favorite, one of my favorite is Mary Frances Benton Connor. And she left a diary of a couple of years of that time, 1921-22 specifically, and she writes it in poetry. She and her husband came to Montana. They homesteaded in the, uh-oh, uh-oh. The Goldstone area, Hill County, and she and her husband did not do well when they were together. She files her own homestead, which is on the same bound, uh, bound borders her, her son. And she spends her life school teaching and, and loving her family. And just a couple quick bits of poetry. So here we see her talking about Mr. Walker goes with family of eight to try his fortune in another state. Faithfully he worked to sow the seeds, hopefully thereby to supply their needs. Now his fields are bald and bare, the work of the cut room showing there. <laughs> wow. All right, let's find something a little perky. Oh, she does talk about not having any trees, um, but she loves Montana. This morning came so bright and glowing, 
with, with sun fiercely showing, but nothing more to cause alarm. Soon all the air grew nice and warm. <laughs> Scroll along the times from which come all these rhymes. The school is ever so dear. I love it better every year. I love to note the interest taken, the desire to learn, I love to waken. Today I sent to Ruby a team, and I, I hope to see her soon again. She goes on, she has company, she, she talks about it in rhyme, goes on and on. She passed away in 1930, but her homestead is visited by her grandchildren and her <coughs> great-grandchildren. So the next is the last what historians have dubbed or labeled the last progressive governor. And he was Republican. And I want you to remember this man, if you haven't heard of Mr. Dixon before, Governor Dixon, because he took on the Anaconda Copper Company. He only served one term because one of his main focuses was to make certain that corporations, be it the Anaconda Copper Company, the railroads, etc., etc., pay taxes. <laughs> Needless to say, the Anaconda Copper Company did not like Dixon. They crucified him. But in short, he was not able to get the legislature to draw up that law but he put it to a vote in a referendum, an initiative, and the people of Montana said, yes, we would like to see these huge multi-million dollar corporations be taxed. He was an amazing man, amazing, because he, quite honestly, he had to have been fearless. He had to have been fearless to take on the corporations. We were so embedded, if you weren't a homesteader, you were Chances are you were embedded in one of those corporations, be it the railroad, a lumber company, or the Anaconda Copper Company. So, Governor Dixon. Let's see. What have I got? Now, again, so tax reform is is what um, I want to highlight here, but after he lost, that's going into the governor's mansion a second time, he was appointed um, second in command for the Department of Interior by Herbert Hoover, and was a public servant the rest of his life. All right. And then the last of my personalities, I want you to meet Mr. and Mrs. Sinclair. They lost their son in World War I during the Battle of the Argonne. They, along with 1,400 other Montana families, were grieving during this time. And if you're interested about that, Total, I got it from the Adjutant General Office records, which we have at the Historical Society, because I couldn't find two books that agreed on the total. So I just went to them, and that is open to interpretation. So 
you can quote me, but say, Zoe did say, do your own research. <laughs> so during this time, as far as I could tell and determine, the first World War I memorial was put up in 1921 in Hamilton. Libby put one up in 1922. Missoula, 27. Great Falls, 1927. Anaconda put theirs up in 26. Billings in 27. Columbia Falls in 27. Fort Benton, and by the way, this is Fort Benton's because, oh, excuse me, no, this is Missoula's because it's such a typical doughboy. But sadly, the loss of that son qualified Mrs. Sinclair as a gold star mother. That was what a household was designated when they lost a son or daughter in the war. After the war, because so many of, of Montanans and Americans were buried overseas, women got together and created a, the Gold Star Mothers Program that allowed qualifying women to go to Europe to see the graves of their sons. 66 Montana women out of the 1,400 qualified. Mrs. Sinclair went on the third group of Gold Star Mothers with 300 other mothers and visited her son's grave. During this time, a lot of, you know, that patriotism just never, never lost its impetus. The mothers were wined and dined and treated like royalty as they should have been by the U.S. government, and the government gave them tours of Paris, bussed them out to the graveyards, which had just received those white marble headstones that we so often see in the pictures before that. They were just wooden crosses. All right. So just a little reminder that as Montana was going into this crazy time, of transition and the changes that would create what we consider modern Montana, we have 1,400 families grieving. Not to mention what that loss must have done to those communities who were already losing so much of their population. And I wonder how many of you are even aware of perhaps some World War I memorials out there that I have missed. Libby's, quite honestly, is my favorite um, in that Libby created a whole boulevard at the length of what was town at that time, and then they planted a spruce tree for every one of the men who died and from Lincoln County, and there were well over 12 or 18, I can't remember, along with a statue. She's showing a little bit of wear. So visit those, please, please. Right, so a little bit different approach to the aftermath of World War I. Montana is decimated a decade, is hit by depression a decade before the nation is. There's a nice little respite in 22, 23, little bit of, of income, in the industries from the rest of the country. 
but people are scrambling to survive and to hang on to what they have. We do not see another Republican governor, I think, for four, four different administrations. Again, those darn liberal Republicans. <laughs> but there are some really amazing things happening. And I am going to turn the floor over to Professor Cloud because he's going to talk about one of those things that was happening. I want to thank you all for attending this great conference. And some of you have traveled a long way, and I want to thank you. And be careful going home in the snow. <laughs>